We're going to go to the Hall of Competence Fan Online, talk to a good friend from DK Pittsburgh Sports. That would be Chris Carter. Chris, um, the Steelers selected a really good football player in the first round, but apparently there is a large crowd who has some sort of analytical formula that suggests that it wasn't the it wasn't the right value that they got in this pick. Where do you fall on this discussion? I've I've said for weeks and months, even years, when I've heard this assertion, people use these blanket statements, Paul, to say, "Oh, running backs, you can't draft in the first round." It's like, look, I agree. If you're the team that's completely rebuilding, if you have a top ten pick, if you don't have a nucleus that you think you can you can build on top of. Yeah, picking running back is the wrong thing to do in the first round. But if you're in the back of the first round, if you just won your division, if you were 12-4 and four and you have the, major- the large majority of the key players on your team returning, like the Steelers do, and the biggest weakness on your team is running the football, it makes perfect sense to get a running back if he's the best player available at that point in the draft. And I, I still say he was. You know, a lot of the offensive tackles people were talking about drafting – didn't get, end up getting picked until after the Steelers' second-round pick. So, um, and, you know, I just I, I look at this and I say, man, I, I think a lot of people are trying way too hard to outsmart other people or to sound like the smartest people in the room when it, it's not that complicated. No, it isn't. It's really kind of just. Uh, I think it's it's so kind of silly um, that there that we're even having this discussion. Because ultimately, as I say, every time someone comes up with one of these arguments, you know, you're, you're drafting players. They're not robots. So, you know, you can't put them in this little box just because there's some generalized numbers and, and formula that suggests, you know, it, you know historically um, running backs, you know, uh, don't last as long as other players. You're trying to make your team better, so you go get the best player you can get. Right. That's the whole point here, Paul, is you're trying to get the best the best player who's available to you. And I get, yes, if your argument is that, oh, well, Najee Harris might not be around in six years. Well, okay, sure, Bud Dupree wasn't around in six years. Was he worth the first-round pick? I'd say he was. Um, you know, this is a guy, and on, on top of being a player on the field, Paul, how many times have we heard that the Steelers aren't getting character guys? or they're getting non-likable people. Well, here's a guy who was a leader in his locker room, drove nine hours on his own to go watch his teammates perform on a pro day. Then on his draft day, when he knows he's about to become a millionaire, when it's about to be the best day of his life, he holds the draft day party in the homeless shelter that he grew up in, benefiting the children who are struggling and going through hardships in their early parts of their life. What what more of a what more of a, a great you know off the field guy can you find in this year's in this year's draft? You know you can find some amazing stories, but that's right up there with the top of them. You know he's, he's a great on field producer. He seems like a great leader. He seems like a great person. All these things lining up, and here we go. Still people complaining. Oh, they could have got this guy. They could have got that guy. Oh, okay, guys, we we get it. You think that you think that the guy who was drafted in the fifth round at the running back position would have been just as good as the consensus best running back in, in, the, in, the, in college football last year, the guy who led the league and the, the whole country in touchdowns, both on the ground and total. Like, come on, just, just stop it. Well, exactly. I just, it's also so dumb to me. Um, you know, let's move on. 
Uh, in the second round, they got a tight end, obviously, uh, uh, far, uh, Pat Fryermuth from uh, Penn State. Not everybody loves the pick. Um, you know, I don't know that he's a, a, a real true road grader type tight end, a blocking tight end, but um, he's a guy that I think is a pretty good football player too. I mean, Paul, I'll be honest. I I didn't think it was their best pick available at that time. I thought that would have been a good time to go for a center. I think that would have been a good time to go for a linebacker or a cornerback. But I will give them this on Pat Fryer. I didn't think he'd be there at 55. I thought he was going to go early in the second round or at the the best late in the first. Um, And when he was sitting there, I was kind of like, okay, he's there. And I was like, but is, is, is number two tight end or tight end of the future um, one of your top priorities here? They made it the case. Like, yeah, you know what? We put him up there in the second round pick. I, again, I'm not, it's not the pick I would have made, but I get it. And I say, I did a Carter's classroom column for DKPittsburghSports.com where I broke down the film on whether or not he could be a legit dual threat tight end because the Steelers haven't had one since really Keith Miller. Um, and when I was looking at, his tape, it, Penn State really didn't use him that much as a blocker, Paul. And it was just like, man, okay, you got to go back away. So I had to go through and find different tapes. And there were instances where it's like, hey, okay, he has the willingness to block. He's just not following through. His technique is a little sloppy because, hey, he, he wasn't asked to block a whole lot. He was the primary receiver. When he was on the field in 2020, he was receiving 27.5% of Penn State's total targets. That means the offense was going through the gap. So, um, I, I look at I look at that and I say, you know what? There's times where Pat, Pat Fryermuth did block well, um, but it wasn't enough. This is going to be the time when it's time for him to shore up, shore some things up. You know, work on his technique, go into training camp. You know, win and lose some battles, learn from those from those battles, and then get ready for the regular season. And then we'll see where he is. And Paul, if he puts it together, if he becomes a blocking tight end, I think he already has the receiving skills to succeed in the NFL. I think he could be a real a dual threat tight end, but it's going to take him to work and to improve. We'll see if he follows through on that. Yeah. I mean, I think the one that people seem to be most excited about is Kendrick green. I mean, there's a lot to be excited about there. This is a guy who is a road grader. Like, you know, you talk about, you want road grader. This is a guy that was what he did in Illinois. Even though he only played three games at center, when you saw him at guard, he moved people. If you were in a gap, guess what? You was moving out the way. Um, and he, he could pull, he could hit in space, and he comes off like a leader. And that was something that I was asking Adrian Clem about in the press conference right after they picked Kendrick Green. Was hey, look at this guy. Uh, you, you, know, you said you like his leadership. What do you like about him? He's like, what's his demeanor when he walks in the room as a player or as a, as a, tra- as a trainee, as a recruiter, you know, whatever. He has this, this sense of confidence that speaks out to everyone. And when you talk to other people that were around him, it exuded in, in the locker room in Illinois, and this is a guy who was a leader. Like, hey, on his own campus, he was leading marches and rallies for Black Lives Matter protests. And, you know, I think it says a lot when you're a student athlete and you're going through and you're, and you're willing to take the time out to organize things like that. That says a lot for who you are. So um, I, you know, I think that it's really good of, uh, of, of, uh, of them to look at the leadership value of this guy. And one thing that seems to scream out on a lot of these picks, Paul, is that these guys were captains, five of these eight picks were captains on their teams in college. I don't think that was right up, straight up intentional, but I think it's something that usually does factor into their decisions of, hey, what do we value about this guy? And this year, it just lined up that they got more of those captain type of guys. And Kendrick Green is one of those guys. We'll see how he comes into training camp. I think that he's, uh, he's going to be an explosive type of guy that's going to help them set 
the tone in the run. I think where his biggest problems fall are going to be, you know, f- you know, finishing form and pass protection. Sometimes he kind of overextends himself and he'll give up a, a gap. But those are things, again, that you can coach. And that's what Adrian Klein was stressing. He said, hey, I can coach technique. I can fix mistakes. I can't coach you to be nasty. I can't coach you to be, uh, to be mean. And he said, you know, Kendrick Green brings a quote-unquote nasty demeanor. And that's something that speaks loud to the Steelers about how they want to run the ball now. So I, I think a lot of people have, have uh, every right to be excited about this guy. Well, yeah, it sounds like, and it sounds like he's a real athletic guy um, that, you know, it's going to fit a lot into what the Steelers are going to ask their linemen to do. A couple other guys that people seem to be pretty excited about, Buddy Johnson. Uh, I heard an analyst today say he's a Steelers linebacker through and through. Um, (laughs) I don't know what that means, but I don't know what, what does that mean? Well, I think that he embodies the old school Steeler mentality of, I'm going to go into a fight in the offense, against the offensive line and I'm going to come out victorious or at least come out. If I don't win, I'm going to hurt somebody in doing so. And that's what Buddy Johnson does typify. When you look at his tape ball, one, this guy's big. He's 6'1", I think like 230 or something like that. Um, and he, he moves so well. And i got to admit, and I've been telling people this, uh, on the databases that I was looking up pro day numbers and I was looking at linebackers and comparing who ran better 40 times and shuttle times and, and uh, bench presses and all these types of things, Buddy Johnson didn't come up on, on the database that I was using. I was like, and then, so when I looked at his numbers after they drafted him, I said, whoa, this guy ran a 4.57? This guy had like the second best shuttle time of any linebacker? This guy had you know, like all these different numbers. Like, okay, this guy has some really impressive athleticism to him. And then you look at his tape, and this is what Jerry O'Fosby said. He said, hey, we wanted a guy who was going to attack first, play downhill, hit the, hit the lineman in the hole, and win. And I think that's what – this is why I was very cautious about the Steelers about drafting Jeremiah owusu Koromoto out of Notre Dame because he's a guy who's great speed, great range, will cover well and, and help you in that range. But when it comes to – if the run game's coming at you, owusu Koromoa isn't taking on a lineman and winning. If he, at worst, he, at best, he's stalemating the guy. Buddy Johnson – in the SEC, he was used to taking on linemen in the hole and winning. And, and again, that's the SEC. He's going up against running backs like Najee Harris. He's, he's tackled guys like Clyde Edwards-Polaire. He's going up against the big guys. And, um, and, and he led Texas A&M with tackles, tackle for loss, forced fumbles. He did all those things. And the big thing about it is he has the size and the speed to help in coverage, but also the physicality to pair with Devin Bush and say, hey, Devin, I'll be the guy that when if the line if the guard's coming up or the fullback's coming, I'm taking him on head on. You stay clean and make the play, or he'll take him on head on and then he'll make the play. That's why people are so excited about Buddy Johnson is that he is that kind of guy. It's just that he wasn't asked to cover a whole lot, so he doesn't have the coverage tape that some people find really sexy and, and something that's going to speak out to them and say, "Hey, I want that linebacker because he's going to blanket this tight end 20 yards downfield." But I think that, that that's not what they need him for. They need him to pair with Devin Bush so that he can help stop the run, which is going to be an imperative when they're facing the AFC North teams like the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and J.K. Dobbins, the Browns with uh, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, and, of course, the Bengals with, Nick, uh, with, uh, with uh, Joe Mixon. Well, last one I'd have for you, obviously, is the one that seemed to get almost as much discussion as Najee Harris, uh, is Presley Harvin, the punter. Guy's a uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty impressive athlete, isn't he? I do have to admit, I was like, whoa, I forgot about that guy. You know, he's the first ever black punter to win the Ray Guy Award for best punter in the country, which I thought was really cool. Um, but I just, if you're, if you're a Pitt fan and you watch that Georgia Tech game, 
Try to think back. What was the most annoying part of that game if you were rooting for Pitt in that moment? You were probably thinking, like, every time Pitt's defense pinned Georgia Tech deep, and then all of a sudden this punter would just flip the field. And you were like, wait, what? what is, how, how, how did the ball get that far? How, how did you, they, they have them at the 5 of 5. Why are they, why are they on the 30 right now? It's because that's what Presley Harvin did. He averaged 48-yard punts, and not just the booming of them. You look at where he targets them. He often puts them on the sideline, gives them great hang time. This guy does look like a potential, like, hey, he has the, the knack to be the best punter in the NFL if he sticks with it. Um, so that's what's really impressive about him is this dude is booming punts and booming them accurately. So I, I think that if Steelers fans, if you've been waiting for a punter to be excited about and to, to you know, actually be effective in a game, this guy has the potential to be. Now, we've seen punters before get, feel themselves and get a little too excited and, and blow their careers up because they got a little too overconfident. You know, we'll see if this guy falls into that trap. But I, he, right now, he looks like a heck of a pick and someone for Steelers fans to be excited about on special teams, which, I mean, when was the last time you were excited for a punter fall? Never. <laughs> Chris, great stuff, buddy. I really appreciate it. Of course, Paul. I, you know, glad to be on the show anytime, man. Yep, uh, it's Chris Carter, DK Pittsburgh Sports, breaking it down. Uh, we got to get through a break. It's 93.7 The Fan.